This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, Mike Kelly stops by from SportLogic and the NHL Network. Lots to get to there with uh, with Mike to around the NHL and what Patrick Waugh needs to do with the New York Islanders to help turn things around there. 1-0 so far, beating the Dallas Stars on the weekend. Uh, they will face off against the Vegas Golden Knights later on this evening. John Sebastian Jaguar stops by as well. Uh, in hour two. Uh, very much looking forward to this conversation with Barry Trotz, the general manager of the Nashville Predators, a tough one last night against the Florida Panthers. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the Nashville Predators still find themselves in the second wild card spot in the Western Conference. Barry, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm, I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, I, I'm good. But before we get to the Nashville Predators team itself, Barry, one of the things um, that I've certainly noticed uh, of recent note, and I'm sure you and everyone with the Preds has, has noticed for a while now. Um, once upon a time, it seemed as if a lot of players uh, wanted to, when they retired, settle in St. Louis, specifically players that have played there, obviously. Um, it seems now like Nashville's become more of a destination for uh, ex-players when, when they hang it up, they, they, they uh, you know, re- retire the act and, and, and move to Nashville to settle and start a family. First of all, do you notice that trend? And I'll give you a chance to, to, to sell Nashville a little bit here. Why Nashville? Well, I think a number of things. It's a, uh, it's a vibrant city. It's one of the fastest growing cities uh, in the United States. I think you have the, the tax situation. Uh, I'm finding that uh, not only uh, players that play for the national player uh, predators, but uh, uh, players like Ryan Getzloff and, and a lot of the guys that are from California, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of players, ex-players are moving to Nashville uh, for the quality of life, uh, tax purposes. Uh, you're seeing a lot of major league baseball uh, players like Mookie Betts. And uh, I think it's probably a lot of the first rounders that Vandy's had over the years. Uh, they, they've uh, established themselves in Nashville and word gets out. Uh, players are, you know, professional athletes are, are really good at that, uh, of sort of identifying places where you can retire when you're done. And uh, Major League Baseball, uh, hockey, and the NFL have all done that. And mm-hmm. I, I, I beg to say a lot of the music industry and even the, uh, uh, the film industry, uh, people uh, have moved to Nashville for quality of life. Uh, you can probably not have to worry about as much paparazzi as you do in some of the big cities and, and uh, you get a lot of value for your dollar. And then the, other than this week, the weather is usually pretty good. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you know, in Nashville. Yeah, it is. It's just a great vibrant place and lots to do. And yeah. it's a, uh, uh, it's a good city to raise a family. Uh, and a good organization to go to if you're if you're selling this to free agency is that is that part of the pitch? Like I'm curious. And once upon a time, it's it's tough to get players uh, to go to places like Nashville. Now the players are more familiar with it, understand the vibe, uh, know the organization, know the team, and and how it's consistently competitive. Like when you go out to market free agency July first, is, like, is that part of the pitch, Barry? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has to. You have to, you know. If you're in a in this market, I mean, there's so many uh, great things that you can sell to a to a player. That uh, why wouldn't you want to come here? And then, you know, your dollar going even further, uh, you know, than it ever has. I mean, I was in, uh, you know, a couple of my stops in New York and Washington, and I look at my checks. Uh, mm. uh, the first time I I saw my check, I was like, uh, I got a couple extra uh, dollars in there that I never <laughs> had before. So. Uh, it, it is, it's real. And yeah. especially with what the players make now, uh, it's real money. I mean, it is real money for the players. So, um, you have to sell that. It's no question. And, you know, we're a team that's been consistently, you know, in the playoffs. Uh, I want to take it to another level and we're in a little bit of a, uh, reset, reboot, whatever, a uh, little bit of rebuild. I can use all those words. I guess mm-hmm. I'm not, a, not afraid of that. Uh, um, but it is just a terrific place to, raise a family and uh if we can uh you know win a stanley cup here i mean it would be just absolutely fantastic uh it would um that place would erupt you know it's curious you know the language around you know describing what a team is doing you know uh, the philadelphia flyers for example have you know haven't been shy about saying you know we're we're retooling this thing we're rebuilding this thing yet they find themselves you know one of the one of the best stories in the nhl and are tucked nicely into a playoff spot and i don't think there's any owners around the nhl that wouldn't sign up for that type of rebuild um, Barry, how would you describe what the Nashville Predators are going through right now as you 
you know, take this thing from one era of Preds to another? Well, I think, uh, you know, I have to sort of describe what's happened to a lot of the the listeners is that, you know, last last year uh, at the trade deadline, we moved some big pieces at Mm -hmm. home and Janot and and Granlin and and Niederreiter and and, and really some some quality pieces that are playing on other teams right now. But uh, I think what everybody realized is this team, uh, the way it was was set up, uh, or way way it was last year that it, it needed to get to another level, and we weren't quite sure if that was going to happen with that group uh, and the, and the age of the group. So um, we paired off and and got a lot of assets. David did a uh, you know his last trade deadline. He made some some big deals, and and we got some some draft capital, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we've done a good job of uh, developing and uh, drafting players. And you look just look at our Milwaukee team; it's one of the younger uh, teams in the American Hockey League. They're in, they're in first place. Um, we've got five first round draft choices down playing, and they're playing big parts of that. Yeah. We also have a, a, a first round pick in Liam Foody. We picked up from uh, Columbus, who was a first round pick, and then Gary Onuf who's playing with us right now, was a first-round pick. So we've got a lot of those players down there being high contributors, and we're hoping that we're just trying to buy some time uh, so that they can fit into a, a very good role with us. And then we've got guys like Evangelista, Tomasino, Parson, uh, all trying to uh, contribute at this level. But also we're trying to – we don't just want them to survive. We want them – to thrive. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're on a balancing act of developing and trying to win at the same time. You know, one of the things about the Nashville Predators, one, it seemed for the longest time it was a blue line factory. It's also seemed like a goaltending factory as well. And I want to ask you uh, about Yaroslav Askarov. And listen, you, you see Saros, even last night in, in a losing effort, Saros is outstanding. Um, there's no denying oh, yeah. you know, the quality of net miner that you have and have had there for, for quite some time. But when you have someone like Askarov, who's a first-round draft pick, as you know, um, you know, breaking goalies into the NHL can be very tricky. It's uh, a very sensitive thing to do. It's a very sensitive and important position as well. Uh, I know you don't do anything with a plan. Um, so how do you how do you go about you know taking uh, Askarov to the next level with the Nashville Predators here? Well, you know, obviously uh, it came out the other day that uh, about uh, Saros, you know, my intention is is to sign, uh, yep. uh, uh, you know, Juice. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, the whole market has sort of changed. It's like there are one or two teams looking for a goaltender. There's five or six now, it seems. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think it was written that uh, I have to at least listen to teams if they they want to uh, offer uh, something of, of high value and that fits us. Uh, at least I have to listen. Uh, but our intention is to, to have juice. And probably, uh, you know, for us, if you look at uh, the goaltending factory, Ashcroft played, uh, I think it was uh, a game earlier this year. He's the 13th goaltender in 25 years that has played for the National Predators. And you think about that, there's a few franchises that are, yeah. you know, five years into their, their existence, they've gone through 13 goalies. So um, we're pretty stable there, and we always have a good plan uh, with our goaltenders. And, and if you look at how Askarov uh, is, is he's, he's getting to that stage where he needs to, he's breaking through every glass ceiling as a uh, through his development. Uh, he's outstanding. I think he's going to be a game changer. You know, we've got to get him some games in the National Hockey League. So what better example than maybe he's the guy that's next to um, you know, Saros for a, a you know a time period here. So uh, we've got a little bit of a plan, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I know that goaltenders don't develop unless they play, and he's developing at a, a real high rate. And uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to, in my career to have uh, you know uh, good goaltending coaches and in, in uh, oh yeah Mitch Korn for a long time, Piero Greco and and Ben Vanderklok, and so we always have a plan uh, with our goaltenders. So. Uh, right now, uh, we're, we're hoping that uh, Ascroft can go on a real deep run unless we do something at the trade deadline. And if that's the case, then I could see him playing some games up here. When people, when other general managers call, um, is, is Saros mainly the, the first name that comes out of their mouth? Well, it depends on the, on the team. 
you know, if you're talking to a, a team that's say, you know, they're going for it, they're all in, yep. uh, the, the name that will come up with Saros. If it's a rebuilding team or a team that's maybe, you know, in the middle and looking for an upgrade at goaltending, they, they may ask for uh, a guy like Askarov. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all depends on where that, that, that phone call is coming and what position that team is in. How close have you been? Has there ever been a moment where you said, hmm, I need to really think about this? Um, I, I haven't been as close as I'd like to. I, I, I think it was very, very, um, uh, I'll say it was out there uh, at, before the draft that uh, I was trying to move up really into the top four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, I put some pretty good packages, I thought, together, but um, you know, uh, no one really bit. So, uh, we'll have to, you know, we'll try again with, uh, you know, trying to do what we need to do. I think we have some holes at forwards, you know, some holes on the fence that we need to fix in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at yourself in, in advance of, of trade deadline, I mean, you're in this really interesting position. You have some, uh, a lot of players that we, we just lose Barry. I think we just lost Barry. We'll, we'll get him back in a, in a couple of seconds here. Uh, we did hear all that stuff at the draft, by the way, about them trying to to move up into the top five uh, and grab one of those uh, picks. And you know, there were various names that were floated out, and uh, Askarov was was very much one of them. Um, we'll see what happens with the Nashville Predators this year come trade deadline time. I I, I don't know that there are. Uh, I mean, there are, are are there are some players that are you know sacred cows because of contract, because of no trade, because of position in the organization. Um, and I think of someone like Roman Yossi, who now is the leading scorer amongst defensemen uh, in the history of the Nashville Predators, most recently taking over Shea Weber. Um, so th- this is a Nashville Predators team that can kind of that's kind of doing a couple of things all at the same time. Like they can satisfy if Barry Trotz decides uh, managers that are looking for more veteran players, or maybe managers that are looking for um, uh, players that are closer to starting their career than ending their career. Barry Trotz is back, general manager. Uh, of the National Predators. Sorry, you, you cut out there a, a second ago, Barry. No problem. You didn't like my, uh, my my potential answer, I guess. No, I I, uh, I loved it. I mean, everything's been <laughs> everything's been great so far. Uh, I'm curious, you know, in Nashville in advance of the trade deadline. Like once we get past All Star here, I'm you know, I think everyone's looking at NHL rosters and saying, okay, what's this manager thinking? What's that manager thinking? Whenever I get around to Nashville, uh, I kind of get of a couple of different minds here in that. And I just mentioned this uh, a couple of seconds ago. You know, you can kind of, you know, depending on which direction you want to go, um, for managers that are out there that want players for a push or someone a little more veteran, you can accommodate. And as you mentioned earlier, for teams that are looking for, you know, the to, to begin a winning cycle, let's just say, you can accommodate them as well. How do you approach this trade deadline? Well, I think I, I'm sort of preparing for both. Uh, you know, uh, going into this year, I thought it was going to be a, a a real difficult year. And uh, you know, at one point we were five and ten, I think. Mm. And uh, you know, here we're sitting in the in the final uh, uh, playoff spot. Um, so I'm, I'm probably I'm preparing for both. Uh, I think the team where we sit, and the, the, really the players will determine that. I, I I would say that I don't think we're a team that. Uh, say I'm all in uh, because of the fact mm-hmm. that I, I think we have uh, a lot of growth, but I really want, if we're at the, uh, at the trade deadline and we're right there, I have no problem adding something to our team to, because these guys have done a really good job of, of, you know, keeping us in the, in the playoff hunt and, mm-hmm. and all that. And I would like to help that, that group. Uh, but if we're falling out and if it's not happening, then, you know, I I'll have some assets that are, um, everywhere from uh, affordable, I would say, to uh, <laughs> short term. Um, you know, because we we have a lot of uh, you know. I look at our forward group. I think I have, you know, probably six or seven guys that are under a million dollars. Yep. Uh, in terms of uh, what they make, so very affordable to those those cap crunch teams. So uh, we will have some of those depth players that the teams are are always looking for, especially teams that want to go on long runs. We have some good veterans that, uh, uh, you know, if in the right situation and the right deals there, mm. that uh, uh, would make a lot of sense to some teams. So uh, I think I'm going to let the players decide what we're going to do. 
uh, based on their play and where we're at in the standings. Uh, real quick, I got about 60 seconds for this. I probably should have asked it earlier. Um, thoughts on Andrew Burnett uh, so far? Uh, Andrew's done a wonderful job. I, I, you know, he's changed the way we play. We play a lot faster. Uh, we, you look at our, um, you know, we eliminated a lot of goals from our, our hockey team last year and, and our offense uh, is uh, been okay this year. And, and it's because of the fact that we, uh, we're playing a more modern game, I would say. Uh, we play with a lot more risk. We, we're trying to draft players with a lot more skill and speed as we go along here. And uh, we've always been very good at identifying goaltending and, uh, and uh, defensemen in this organization for 25 years. I, wanna, I, I see the game getting deeper in those top nine highly skilled forwards. Yeah. Uh, I want to I be a team that has a lot of depth at those highly skilled forwards, but you still have to have the competitive element and you still have to have the drive element to be successful in this business. So uh, those are the types of players that we're looking for in Nashville. I love it. Uh, great stuff. Barry, always appreciate it when you come on. You're always you know, open and, uh, and, and transparent. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated, certainly uh, from me and from our listeners slash viewers as well. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way with the Preds, and we will check in soon. All right. Take care. There is Barry Trotz, general manager of the uh, Nashville Predators. Uh, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese, who returns. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you today? Good. It's nice to see you. Right across from each other. I know, right? You to do this daily. You sick of me yet? Uh, it's been no. an hour. No, no, oh, okay. we're good. I All did right. give you an ornament today, which was actually pretty good. From Arda O'Cal, our yeah. friend at ESPN. I love it. Uh, Josiah, who works here at The Fan uh, in Toronto, he was the one who designed the logo, actually. So shout out to hey. Josiah for making that. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Love it. Um, okay. Lightning at Flyers. Puck line is Flyers minus one and a half. Tampa has won 12 of the last 14 against the Flyers, including seven straight mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. The total has gone over in 12 of the last 17 between these two teams. Tampa coming into this one having won five of the last six, and Philly has won five of the last seven. Not a matchup that I think people had circled on their calendars four months ago, five months ago. Now you look and go, this is actually pretty good. This is actually a pretty good game. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one of the best plays that I've seen, you know, the best probably in the last week, maybe two weeks. Did you see Kucherov and Hedman in their magic oh, on the weekend? That was just that's poetry on the ice. I don't know that. Like, I don't, how do you do this? Like, Victor Hedman is what six foot six? Yeah, you can't miss him. How, well, I mean, they nobody did. found him. Like, how do you how do you hide his six foot six? I mean, a lot of it is Kucherov too, and everyone bites and everyone looks at Kucherov. But I'm still stunned at how someone who's that big and is a future all-star and you game plan for is able to hide on the ice yeah. during an offensive shift. But that's just part of the brilliance of Kucherov and the, the brilliance of the six foot six, six foot seven, Victor Hedman. How yeah. do you hide that guy, Matt Marquez? Yeah, that's tough. Look forward to this one very much. Uh, line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Going deep with Mike Kelly from NHL Network and Sport Logic coming up in moments. Also, Jean Sebastian Jaguer will tell you what it's like playing for. Patrick Waugh as a goalie. Islanders are facing off against Vegas tonight. And, oh, yeah, they got Montreal on Thursday. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So I think there's one experience as sports fans, and for the purposes of this show, hockey fans, there's one experience that we've all had, and that is you're scrolling through Twitter X, and you come across a stat that floors you, and you say, that can't be right. And you go back and read it again, and then you think about it some more. You chew on it, and you go away, and you come back, and it's still there, and it's still stunning. Here's one that stopped me in my tracks. Outrageous Quinn Hughes stat of the day. Seven defensemen, this is before yesterday's game against the Blackhawks, Vancouver Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks. Seven defensemen have between 30 and 40 minutes of puck on stick possession in the offensive zone this season. Okay? Makar, Yossi, Bouchard, Carlson, Matheson, Fox, and Dalene. Matheson having a quiet, nice season, folks. No D-man is in the 40s. Okay, so all the top dogs are between 30 and 40 of minutes of stick-on-puck offensive zone time, possession time. 
No D-man is in the 40s. Quinn Hughes, 54-27. That tweet from Mike Kelly from SportLogic and analyst with the NHL Network. Uh, when you first saw this or all the numbers aligned for you, the Rubik's Cube mic finally clicked together for you. What did you think when it all clicked 54-27 for Quinn Hughes? He's just, he's hit another gear. Um, like this is a guy who last season was the guy, the defenseman who had the puck on his stick the most in the offensive zone. He plays yeah. you know, quite a bit at even strength, plays a lot of power play, uh, doesn't kill penalties quite as much as some other guys. So, um, and you watch him play, you understand he's going to be up there. But the difference this year, it's just like everything with this game. There's another level he's hit. Um, and to have that kind of gap on everybody else, and you watch him play. Like, I just watched the first period of that game last night. He scored a goal. Um, some of the moves he makes to extend plays and possessions and open up shooting lanes and passing lanes, it's yeah. the only other guy I can think of, like, is Makar, right, that, that's in that category. So... Um, what really blows my mind though, when you, that, that having the puck, you have to be super talented to have it that much. Number mm-hmm. one, um, his turnover rate. So how often he turns it over relative to how often he has it is one of the lowest amongst all defensemen completes more passes in the ozone than any defenseman. So you put all these things together. You're like, man, this guy has the puck all the time. He never makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. Generates a lot of points. Obviously he's scoring more goals now than, uh, than he ever has. So it's, it's pretty wild. You know, you mentioned that goal that he scored yesterday, too. That is an absolute rip of a shot. Like, when we think about defensemen and the big shot, we think about, you know, back scratch and slap shot. We think of Shea Weber, okay? Uh, now, a lot of, as you know, shots that come for the point are just sort of there to create rebounds. That shot, again, it's not right from the point. It's, it's in tighter. That shot from Quinn Hughes as well. Like, he can absolutely rip this thing. Like, if you're, if you're voting for the Norris right now, today, is he so far ahead on the balloting, or is there anyone close? I think Kale McCarr is close. And after that, then I think there's a bit of a chasm, and then you get into some other guys. But, um, yeah, it, it looks like a two-horse race to me coming down the stretch. I'd probably give Quinn Hughes a bit of an edge right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, you look at traditional numbers, you look at advanced numbers, uh, these guys are kind of one-two in a lot of meaningful areas. So, that's going to be a great race. And the best thing about posting anything about Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr on Twitter is the second that you do it, you get a whole bunch of people that love it and a whole bunch of people that want to tell you how bad that player is because the other guy who they <laughs> cheer for is better. You can't just give someone a compliment and let it be. Welcome to Twitter. I can't believe we've ignored this, which is staring in your face, Mike. How I can't believe you're silencing, uh, you know, the the brilliance of Kale McCarr when you tweet about Quinn Hughes. You know, the the one really? thing, and listen, we we saw a lot of this in the the discussion with Eric Carlson, his hundred point season. Um, at what cost? You know, a lot of people will look at the offensive numbers uh, for Quinn Hughes and will say, okay, well that's fine, but what about defensively? How does he perform? Uh, I've kind of always looked at that and said the best way to defend is to make sure the puck isn't in your zone. So if you can keep the puck down the other end, what looks like you're playing in the offensive zone, you're actually defending at the exact same time. How do you look at Quinn Hughes's defense and what do the defensive metrics tell us about him? He's better than average. Like I've I've never really bought into the belief that he's this liability out there. I I didn't believe it before. I certainly don't believe that this season. Um, In in terms of just individual metrics, how disruptive he is defensively. He's fine. Like he's, there are other guys that are better. Kale McCarr is more disruptive defensively than Quinn Hughes is. He kills more penalties. Uh, there's other elements to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, right? You're, you can evaluate what the individual does on the ice. And we can certainly do that with, with the information we have at Sport Logic. And then there is what occurs just at, at the while on ice level. Um, if you are, like you say, are spending a lot more time in the ozone. You're giving up less chances, one would imagine. You're certainly giving up less goals as long as you have competent goaltending, which the Canucks do. So, um, yeah, and with Carlson last year, like, he's still the, – the Sharks were better when he was on the ice than their, than their opponent. Oh, yeah. Which they should have been better than anybody ever. Um, like, you can look at plus minus, and the thing that bugs me about that is that I think he was dinged about minus 20 when I stopped counting just in terms of empty net goals against because they pulled the goalie so much. Yeah. He was out there so often um, that it's not a great indicator. So, uh, yeah. 
Well, you know, back to Hughes for, for uh, another second, and I, I do want to move on. I, I do want to talk about Patrick Waugh and the Islanders and, and what needs to happen there now that they have uh, uh, a new coach, uh, a fiery and exciting coach, I, I might add as well. <laughs> uh, I, I'm always curious about, you know, when you have someone like Quinn Hughes, you know, what partner complements that skill set uh, the best? Like you mentioned Kale McCarr, and we all know how great, you know, Devon Taves has been with him slash for him. Um, you know, when Sergey Gonchar was, you know, was, was launching himself into a different stratosphere, you know, I always wondered about, okay, so what does that say also about Ken Klee uh, at the same time? So what does, you know, what, wh- who is the sort of perfect style of partner for Quinn Hughes? I mean, Philip Ronick looks fantastic with him. Uh, who's helping who here in this situation? Well, both, I think, no question about it, right? You, you bring up some, some pretty good uh, comps there in, in past history. Um, we saw Quinn Hughes have a really great run with Chris Tanev when Tanev was in Vancouver, yep. and that's a real defensive shutdown guy. Fronick's got some offensive ability to his game, some puck moving to his game, also defends well, um, and is a little more well-rounded in that way. So that's those two have just clicked. Like you, you would say on paper it should work. I don't know that you would think it would work to the level that it has, but it's like the the whole five-man grouping as well when they get out there – you know, with the lotto line now as it is, or, or even with some of these guys when they were split up before, um, you've got a defense, defensive conscience and a guy that can do it in Hronik, but you've also got five guys on the ice at all times who can make plays. Um, and Hughes is quarterbacking so much of it mm-hmm. just because of his ability, but there's not really a weak link a lot of the times when he's on the ice with his D partner, but also with the forwards that he's with, and they all just kind of work in, in unison. Uh, I'm just sort of throwing at you this the, this one at you cold, and I'm not sure if you even have this type of information uh, handy, but um, there was a while there, back like 2011 specifically, that when uh, when Patrice Bergeron and Zidane Chara were on the ice together, nobody else touched the puck. Like flat, <laughs> flat out, full stop, nobody else played with the puck. It was just those two and whichever other Bruins they decided to share the puck with. It was insane. Um, is there any is there any other sort of defense forward combo, defense centerman combo in the NHL that you can think of? Maybe it's Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, boy. Um, yeah. But is is there one that you can think of that would rival? Because I think that I mean the possession numbers that Bergeron and Charo and they're on the ice together was insane. Is there another combination you could think of that would rival that? That's a great question. I, I haven't looked at it. Uh, recently off the top of my head, I don't have a definitive answer for you, but you just think about high possession guys would be yeah. what you just said, Carr and McKinnon. Um, you think about McDavid and Bouchard, even in Edmonton, mm. um, Jack Hughes and whoever the heck's on the ice with them. doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, those, those would be guys that would come to, to yeah. be top of mind. Uh, okay, let me ask you about the uh, the news story that will not stop. It is the gift that keeps on giving for hockey media. It is Patrick Waugh behind the bench of the New York Islanders. So many different levels to this one. Uh, but from your perch, Mike, uh, from your chair, you see Patrick Waugh behind the bench. Now, we haven't seen, outside of the game uh, against the Dallas Stars on the weekend, we haven't seen Patrick coach at the NHL level for seven and a half, close to eight years. So yeah. we're going on this kind of blind, but... When you first heard the news that it was going to be Patrick Waugh behind the bench, what were your first thoughts? Uh, well, surprising, I guess, like everybody else, because you never hear anything come out of where Lou Lamorello uh, yeah. is in charge. Um, but also, I thought it was a great hire. Um, Patrick Waugh, just from his comments, seems, I don't know if humbled's the right word, but he's got some perspective, certainly, from being out of the game so long, which I don't think he anticipated when he left Colorado, True. Uh, he's a great success in Quebec. Um, as a coach, I don't really think there's anything to knock. You just look at his history, and he's been very successful by and large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think the Islanders got a really good one here uh, for what he can come in and help this team do. And Patrick Waugh got a first-hand taste of what ails the Islanders in the one game that he's coached. They won the game, but like he said afterwards, they gave up 40-plus shots. Yeah. They gave up 20-plus from the slot. He referenced the turnover chances um, that they gave up in that game. And the Islanders, by most metrics that I value that are meaningful and significant defensively, have been either the worst team in the league this year or a bottom three team. Their goaltending has allowed them to have a somewhat oh, yeah. respectable goals against average and respectable record. But Patrick Waugh would have seen this 
clearly without even looking at a stat sheet just from having coached that one game. So he knows, um, and he's, a I think, a sneaky good kind of X's and O's coach as well. I'm fascinated to see what he can get out of this current group. How much of it in 30 more games, 20 more games, whatever, are we going to look back and say, mm-hmm. ah, it really was coaching? Or how much are we going to look back and say, well, it's kind of the roster. That That's going to be interesting to me. You know, we can all recall back in uh, in Colorado when he first started, and the first thing that we saw, and we saw it, and we went, "Hey, look, junior hockey!" It was that man-to-man in their own zone, and we said, "Okay, this isn't uh, this isn't the Quebec uh, Junior League. This is this is the NHL here." Uh, Patrick Waugh. I, I don't know how profoundly different he wants to or can make the Islanders play in this short a time. Like they're playing Vegas. Uh, tonight, now Vegas dropped a tough one last night against uh, against the New Jersey Devils, and Cassidy had a rip at the team. So that's a team that's going to come in uh, looking ready to play. Then there's going to be a really emotional one on Thursday night. We're all looking forward to the Islanders facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, I don't know if maybe it's it's different for every coach, but you know when do you start to really see the effects of what a coach can do with a new team? Like we're familiar with you know the dead cat bounce, and Minnesota had that. Uh, the Oilers still have that with with Chris Knobloch. Um, you know, at, at what point do you say, okay, now this coach is properly settled in, he knows what's under the hood, he knows what needs to be fixed, and you can see the coach actually trying to start to fix things? Uh, well, it probably varies a bit in each spot, but I think you're I, – I like to give it at least 10 games. Yep. To, to, and that's a round number just to pick. You know, how much practice time do they have? You can get into the kind of nuances of it. But, like, you're seeing it now a little bit in Ottawa. And the the funny thing with Ottawa is that I pinned a lot of what they were giving up early in the season on goaltending, and I got a lot of pushback from even the Ottawa market hmm. on that. Um, but the numbers showed Ottawa to be certainly closer to average than anywhere near the bottom, even though they were giving up a lot of goals. Um, and the two always go together, defense and goaltending to some degree, but I pinned it more on the goalies. And when Jacques Martin took over, things took a nosedive immediately in terms of what this team was allowing. Shots, slot shots, rush chances, expected goals, all of these things. Forget the models, just... The where the shots are coming from took a right. nosedive. The last five games, Ottawa's won the expected goal battle at even strength. Like you're starting to see now, maybe them playing the way he wants them to play and actually having some success doing it. So that's, you know, what are we now? 15-ish games into this. So, you know, maybe that's 10 games. I'd say you get around that number, you should hopefully start to see some of what the coach is trying to do, either working or not working, but at least seeing those changes. Uh, alongside Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Okay, point blank: Are the Philadelphia Flyers legit, or is this fool's gold? What are we seeing here? More legit than fool's gold. I, I'm buying. If we're talking playoffs, I'm buying. And hmm. I wouldn't have said that at the start of the season. I don't know if anybody would have. I don't know if anyone in Philadelphia would have. Um, Tortorella coaches that team well. Like they work and uh, they get good goaltending. You know, Samuel Harrison's been a really good story this year. Um, they produce a ton off the rush, and they do a lot of that by defending really well and counterattacking really well. They lead the league in breakaways. They lead the league in, um, or right at the top of the league in goals off the rush, um, creating chances off entries, all these things that are, you know, quick strike offense. They're right up there. Defensively, they're, they're not bad. And like I said, they've been getting some pretty good goaltending. So that's a good recipe. And, um, I'd be shocked if they don't make the playoffs at this point. How much does the presence of Jamie Drysdale affect this Flyers team? I mean, you look at, you know, there are some areas of redundancy that all teams are going to have, and then you look at areas of need. And clearly it seemed as if this is an area of need for the Philadelphia Flyers, someone that can gallop the puck, someone that can anchor the power play, et cetera, albeit he is still young. But what is gonna, what, what will the Drysdale effect be here with Philadelphia? He's a great fit, and I, I think that's something we probably don't talk enough about when a player gets moved, like an NHL-caliber player moves from team to team, is how is that player going to fit within the structure of that team that he mm-hmm. plays on? And this is a great fit because, like you said, you're absolutely right. Drysdale can skate like the wind. Um, he, he's kind of effortless in doing it. And Philadelphia love to get its defensemen up into the rush. Like, they're top five in, in generating offense off the rush facilitating pucks to forwards off the rush. He fits right into that. They could use some help on the power play, obviously. So right. that can't hurt. And he's a young guy uh, who's still got room to grow. He's had injury troubles, as we know. 
I don't know that the Flyers, and they were kind of they obviously forced into into a corner in in moving Cutter Gauthier. I don't know if they're going to be better, you know, over the next ten years because of this move. They're mm-hmm. definitely better today because he's an NHL player. Uh, I want to ask you about goaltenders, and I want to ask you. Let's see how much time I have here. Okay, I want to ask you about Buffalo Sabers and the Buffalo Sabers goaltending situation. Now, backing up to the weekend, listen. The three goalie situation is one that pleases nobody. Everybody gives it the nice smile and you know the the polish and the lipstick and the nice tan. But we all know no one likes the three goalie system. And you yeah. look last week. You know Eric Comrie missed a start in Rochester, and he was getting on a nice roll as well. Uh, so Levi gets sent down. He gets what was going to be Comrie's start. Um, uh, uh, Comrie goes up and, and sits on the bench and, and backs up Lukanen. Uh, then they get you know swapped out the very next day. Levi's back up with the big team, and Comrie's back down with, with the Rochester Americans. Nobody is thrilled here. Um, they're kicking off a, a road trip right now. They'll face off against the Anaheim Ducks tonight. Ukapaka Lukanen gets a start. Uh, I've always been a fan of Lukanen. Uh Albeit, I still think, like much in the tradition of Buffalo Sabres rushing net minders to the NHL, probably could have used more time uh, in the American Hockey League. We understand last year what happened with, you know, Craig Anderson and Lukanen had to come up and play more games than he probably expected, but nonetheless, there it was. But what do you see in Ukapaka Lukanen? What do your numbers see in Lukanen as well? Well, you always look at, you know, you can look at goals against save percentage, these things. There's a lot of real team impacts to that, and Buffalo does not defend well. Um, you go a little more under the hood, and, you know, UPL's been pretty good. He's His, his, his traditional numbers are good. They're fine. Um, the consistency that he's played with has been impressive. Like, he's had a few clunkers that have kind of sunk those numbers. Right. But the one thing that I was looking at, that I, I use this as a way to try to evaluate consistency so a quality start which is a metric we developed how often do you give your team a game in which you post a positive goal saved above expected and percentage wise he's had 16 out of 21 games he's right at the top of the league and how often he's done that Mm. some of the ones that he hasn't again have been clunkers um but he's given them pretty consistent goaltending he's on a nice run right now he's had four quality starts in a row which is the the third longest active streak in the league so Sabres fans are looking for someone. They're looking for something to help them keep the puck out of the net. Um, UPL's been pretty good lately. Yeah. You know, I, the other thing that I wonder about, too, and just hearing you talk about goals saved above expected, one of the points that I've rightly or wrongly, you can tell me whether I'm on base or off base here, I, I find that in this era where it is more advantage shooter than ever before, one of the most difficult things you can do as a goaltender of the NHL is steal a game. I don't think yeah. the teams can look at goalies and expect them to steal games anymore. Now, having said that, we just saw Connor Hallibuck steal one from the Ottawa Senators on the weekend. That was larceny. That was all Connor Hallibuck. He was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but when you look at and, and measure goalie performances, A, it's harder than ever to, quote-unquote, steal a game. Is it even possible anymore with any type of regularity for a goalie to steal a game? We've all heard this before. Oh, we needed our goalie to steal that one. That's one of the hardest things to do in the NHL right now. That's what I believe. Are you the same? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Um, the, the guy that leads the league in steals has eight, uh, and we're more than halfway through the season. It doesn't happen often. I, I wish I had the actual breakdown in the league. We can talk about that maybe next time if you want. Sure. Um, I just don't have it in front of me. And then the guy after him, which is Sorokin, has five. So there, there's no one that's consistently doing it. And the way we measure it is is pretty simple. Like, did you save more goals than expected relative to the differential of the score? So if your team wins 3-2 and your goal saved is above one, we say you were the thing that impacted the game the most, the goal right. that you stole the game. Um, you know, the the Islanders uh, are at the top of the league, off the top of my head, they have 10. Montreal has 10. We've watched Sam Montembeau especially do this a bunch of times this yeah. year. It is a tough thing to do, though. Um, like you said, there's just scorings up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Harder to do. Uh, Which is, you know, brings up an interesting discussion we don't have time for now, but hmm. like I, you've got, I don't know, give me a number, seven, eight guys that you know every year are going to be a number one starter and give you that performance, right? Demko, Hellebuck, go down the line, you know, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, whatever. Yeah. Anything else? It's like, it's risk assessment. Like, can you give a long-term contract three plus years to really any of these other guys? That's why I think you have a lot of teams going with three goalies, getting guys in the off season, saying, hey, we got these three now. 
we, we need one of them to be good at a time. Yeah. And then we're not overspending on the position and you mitigate that long-term risk. You know, it, it, I'll, I'll take it. Let me take it in another place here. Cause that's really interesting that you bring this up, Mike, because uh, I look at goaltending and we've all heard the saying, Oh, if you have a goalie is 70% of your team, if you don't, it's a hundred. And that's true. Like yeah. you look at teams that don't have goaltending, all the good work that the defense and the forwards can do that all gets undone um, with, with poor goaltending. I'm still amazed that there's only, you know, a couple of goaltenders, whether it's, you know, Vasilevsky, whether it's Bobrovsky. Um, I've talked to Elliot about this and he says, ah, maybe the carry price contract scared a lot of teams off. I'm still surprised that considering how important that position is, we don't have more double digit salaries for goaltenders around the NHL, considering you that could be your make or break for the playoffs, your make or break for the team. We've only got a couple of double digit salaries for goaltenders. Does that surprise you? Or do you look at it and say, we still can't measure this the way we need to. So no one's going to hand out these massive contracts anymore. I think it's that um, it's the, it's the most difficult thing to forecast. It's the most difficult position to develop. It's the least understood position. I think in the game, Yeah. Um, you, dra- you draft a guy and you're thinking, you know, maybe in five, six years, like he could be legit for us and, and play a ton for the most part. Um, it's so you, you have to factor that in. I think when you're assessing how much risk are we going to put towards a, a long-term or a big money contract mm-hmm. um, it's, it's hard to do. And, I think you'd rather be in the position where you're cycling through guys until you either draft and develop one or you can acquire one that just happens to work out as opposed to attaching an anchor to one. Right. Um, if you really don't feel it's one of those seven, eight top guys, like it's, I don't know, to use a football analogy, it's, I find it crazy in football. Uh, there's what, 32 teams in football? Um, how many quarterbacks are there that you know you can win with? There's not that many. Mm-hmm. Like there's some teams, if their QB goes down, their season's over. Right. It's done. Right? Um, in, in football, running backs don't get big deals because the shelf life's shorter. Mm-hmm. Goaltending, the shelf life isn't necessarily shorter, I don't think. It's just more unpredictable. So, you know, it's, it's a project I'm working on right now ahead of the trade deadline is, again, we talk about goalies that can be good fits on certain teams. And I've talked to a couple ex-goalies about this in doing this project. How do teams play? How do they defend? What do they give up? What are the goalie's strengths and weaknesses? And how do they perform in different areas? And can you match the two sides to get a goalie who may not be as good as this guy, yeah. but maybe in the areas that you need, he is your best option. Um, it's an inexact science, though, right? Like we're we're doing our best here, but man, it's it's a tough one. You know, that's it, funny. We'll, we'll we'll close on this one. I want to I want to add one thing to your point. I was having a conversation with someone from a team. This is about a, three weeks, maybe maybe a month ago, and we were talking about the Hart Trophy and the most valuable player and what's valuable to every single team. And he said. You know who the MVP is this year? And I was like, oh, uh, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Nikita Kucherov, Conor McDavid's making a charge, et cetera, et cetera, Tammy Panarin. And he said, no, that's all wrong. The most valuable player to a team in the NHL this season, more than ever, is the $1 million goaltender. Is the $1 million goaltender that can play and can go on runs and can spell off. Your, I think the example that we, we both stumbled on was like Anthony Stolarz like a league minimum or $1 million goaltender, that guy that can get you game or what Alex Lyon did last year, helping get the Florida Panthers to the spot. What he's doing right now. What he's doing right now with the Detroit Red Wings. Like he said, that guy is your MVP. No disrespect to Nathan McKinnon, but it's the $1 million net minder. That's your MVP. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's, it's like investing. It's, it's you, you man, you, you, you assess the risk you attach, you know, the dollar value you're comfortable with to, to that risk. And um, there's a lot more of those guys out there than there are, you know, Hey, that guy's a stud. He's going to give me 55. He's going to be awesome. And we know it. So uh, my, my school of thought with it is unless you know, um, or very confident, you, you just, you go through them and you, you try to find those guys if you're not in a position to have a, a true number one in your team. But this is where the playoffs become fascinating. And I know we got to go, but you know, Boston, there's no way they're running one goalie again this year. Um, and it might be Swayman that takes the lead. Who knows? Yeah. Are we going to see more platoon situations in the postseason? That could be a next kind of evolution of the, the whole thing. We kind of saw that a little bit in 06 with Carolina, a little bit with uh, with Gerber and Ward, I suppose. But usually by the end, like yeah. someone distinguishes and just grabs a ball and, and runs with it. Uh, you're right. We're heavy on time. I could talk to you forever. Uh, Mike, you're fantastic. Uh, follow this man on Twitter. Um, watch him on the NHL network, uh, from sport logic, the one and only Mike Kelly. Thanks, Mike. Hey, thanks. Great talking to you.
There is. Uh, always enjoy those conversations uh, and getting into the nitty gritty about goaltending is fascinating. And I always, I always try to catch myself too, knowing that somewhere out there, Kevin Woodley will hear anything that I say about goaltenders and I will get the text and it'll begin with, heard your conversation with blank, but actually <laughs> here's, here's the point you should have been making Merrick. And I appreciate all of those texts that I get from the, uh, from the goalie whisperer. What's up, man? Marchese in advance of another goaltender, John Sebastian Jaguar, who's going to be joining us in a couple of moments. We do love our goalies on this show. We really do. I, I got all day for goalie talk. Uh, okay, so how about this? Hang Instead, on, something yes. that Mike said. Uh, true or false, because you're the football guy here. Mm-hmm. There's about seven, maybe eight elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, I would say it's even less than that. You say it's even less. Five and six. Okay, because yeah. we're trying to. Mike was trying to draw the analogy between goaltenders and, and quarterbacks I, in the NFL. I think it's an active and, and a very good, accurate comparison. It's just like the conversation we had: closers in baseball. Yeah. How many elite ones are there? And consistent, right? Um, speaking of goalies, but no goalie in the net. Was that the Coyotes scoring a power play goal? Lawson <laughs> Kraus, baby. Without. Yeah. The first team in NHL history to score a power play goal in a game without having a shot on net on a power play. So this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one. You'll never see it again. It's the, pen- <laughs> it's the Penguins, and we know how the season's gone for Pittsburgh. And that power play. And that power play, absolutely. Um, it's Latang, It's Malkin. <laughs> Two oh. Hall of Famers connecting on an own goal. It's great. Lawson Krause scores without ever getting a shot on net. You know where it gets interesting? Uh, is in the PWHL, mm-hmm. they play with the jailbreak rule, which is if you score a shorthanded goal yep. on a power play, the power play's over. The, uh, the power play's over. The penalty kill has actually killed the penalty. As now, it should. on a delayed penalty like that one, should it end the power play? That's what I thought of last night. I checked in this morning, and I I, I know that there's but they there scored is, on themselves. There is some that does it. it Do you have to score on yourself. Does, I'm saying it does. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But should should that next power, if you go by the jailbreak rule, which is again shorthanded goals kill the penalty, should there be a power play for the team that just surrendered a goal after that, or I, does that count? Yeah, I'd have to really think about this. one. I don't. Li- I think it should be the power play. I think it should still go forward with the power play. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a really, I'd have to really think about that one. It isn't, I mean, who knows if it'll ever happen again. But I think. Well, it hasn't happened to this point. Well, with with the PWHL, with that that rule, you have to have the explanation. Mm -hmm. Because the worst you can have is two officials, the three officials standing there going. (laughs) What do we do here? (laughs) uh, I'm not sure what the rule is on on this one. And it might be really important. Like, again, you always, you always want to take every situation and say to yourself this. Am I okay if this is the Stanley Cup winning goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally fair. And you have to think worst case scenario. You got to think worst case scenario. And I think if you the PWHL on, on this one, after watching Kraus score that goal, courtesy of Chris Letang and Yevgeny Malkin's lazy one hand on the stick play. Letang's reaction was the best part of all of that. And it was, are you, I think it was, are you bleeping kidding me? Like, and it just like eyes up in the sky. Like, really? This is how it's going to go? It's the season. That's yeah. the season of the Pittsburgh Penguins. 100%. I'm, I'm sorry, but that was, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that had my list of things uh, to discuss it's today. Just, we haven't been able to, to get to that one yet. It's but so that was, bizarre. Uh, and I lo- we thought that, you know, seeing too many men on the ice penalties at the same time, that was the rarity maybe that you see all season. This is the yeah. new one. That's not going to be beaten. I don't think you can like, unless somebody scores 11 points in a game, that's the that takes the cake this year. No, you know what the drag about the eleven points in the game is? Everybody stops scoring after they have six points. They don't want to be disrespectful to the oh, other team. They don't it. want to rub their noses in it. I don't remember the Maple Leafs and Daryl Sittler, you know, saying like, "I'm going to take it easy on the Boston Bruins here." When he's going for Rocket Richards, when there was respect in the game, Jeff. <laughs> That's your favorite line. When there was respect in the game. So many things have happened in history where this and like half the wing should have been in, incarcerated. Yeah. Oh, back then we had respect for one another. Oh, really? You should have all been in pre. You should have all been in handcuffs. Respect in the game where they where they literally bare knuckle box each other, which you can't even do on the street without getting charged. Yeah. But hey, there's respect in the game the back then. They, when they used to fight on trains. The game's cleaner than it's ever been, folks. <laughs> it's more respect in it than it's ever been. But I, I I did think of that last night. Like, what is a PHL? 
uh, PWHL do with this rule now? They have the jailbreak. They're listening to the show going, okay, we got to go back no, in the rule I know, book. <laughs> I, know, I know there's discussions. I know there's discussions happening in the league about, okay, we need to come up with a conclusion here uh, on this one. Anything else before we get to uh, Jagir? No, we got to get to Josh okay. Sebastian. I'm very interested in this conversation. I'll tell you that much for free. What's it like being a netminder for Patrick Waugh? Jean-Sebastian Jagir knows exactly, and he'll share that with you next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Jiggy next. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. I want to thank Mike Kelly for stopping by the uh, by the show and good to finish up with some goalie talk uh, with Mike Kelly. Uh, speaking of goaltenders, someone who's played for a number of coaches, but for the purposes of this conversation, he played specifically with the bench boss of the New York Islanders, Patrick Waugh. He is Jean-Sebastien Jaguer, and he joins me now, uh, Stanley Cup champion. Jean-Sebastien Jaguer, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you very much. How are you? Uh, I'm well. How many people have called? Uh, like the minute that Patrick Waugh enters the NHL again, everybody goes to Hockey DB, and it's like, okay, who did he coach? Who's this guy? <laughs> How many conversations have you had already about Patrick? Well, right now you're my third. I, I did two French one uh, <laughs> yesterday, and then uh, that's my first in English. So we'll okay. see. Hopefully, I'll do well. Ah, uh, bien. We can maybe perhaps uh, switch to French if uh, if things don't go well, and I can <laughs> I can I can see how well I can I can fake it. Uh, you know, it's funny. Just as a, as a quick aside, whenever I uh, do games in Montreal, one of the things that I always try to do is I try to see how deep my French will take me into the province of Quebec. And I've never made it from, <laughs> I've never made it from the airport to the hotel. There's always a certain point where the, uh, the Uber driver, the cab driver says, you know, just starts talking English to me and says, listen, I appreciate the effort, but let's just get on with this. Um, no, I know. And, and we do appreciate the effort. You know, so <laughs> do, do keep trying. <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll make it to the hotel one day. Um, yes. Well, when you first, first of all, before we talk about your experiences with the Avalanche and Patrick Wall, when you first heard the news last Saturday, what went through your mind right away? Well, uh, a bit disappointed, I won't lie. I, I, I was hoping he'd go to Ottawa just for the, the mm. story of it, just for the, you know, yeah. the, uh, you know, the thing with the Montreal Canadian. I think both the, the Senators and the Canadian are probably going to be a very good team in two or three years from now. They're going to be uh, very competitive. Yep. And I think it would have been fun, you know, that rivalry would have been fun, you know, being so close to Montreal. Mm-hmm. You know, I was disappointed for that, but then I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised that uh, Patrick came back in the NHL. I think he's he's had a lot of success in, in junior. Uh, you know, he's, he's put in this time. And uh, I'm happy that for him that he has another chance to uh, show what he can do. You know, one of the reasons why um, I like this move, not necessarily Patrick himself, but for goaltenders, it is you know, it is very rare to see a goaltender behind the bench in a head coaching position uh, in the NHL. I mean, there, there have been some. I mean, we think of, you know, Emil the Cat Francis uh, with the New York Rangers. We'll think of Glenn Hanlon. Like, there, there's a handful of, of, uh, uh, of goaltenders that have gone behind the bench, but not many. Um, uh, I know you coach uh, at the minor hockey level as well, but have you yeah. ever have you ever thought about throwing your hat in the ring? Absolutely not, never. Uh, <laughs> you know, <it's> not, <laughs> you know, I, I just a crazy job. I don't know, you know. But uh, you know, the thing I realized coaching young kids right now. I'm a head coach for a U12 team, and and uh, it's all fun and stuff. But at some point, as a goalie. I feel like I'm limited what I can teach them. You know, mm-hmm. like I, uh, I, I've never played the position forward. I've never played uh, defense. So uh, there's, you know, the little technical part that I feel like I cannot teach the, the young kids or as they grow older. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still comfortable at that level where I'm at right now. But, uh, you know, when I get to an older level, which I've coached before, uh, I tend to go more as an assistant because then I can, Provide more of a, like my experience in hockey and the, the uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff instead of really coaching them and teaching them how to play the game, mm-hmm. which I've never played at their position. Now, if I would have wanted to, to be a coach, you know, I would have had to learn it. I would have had to really like 
seek some answers and and you know maybe go to coaching school and try to get my my you know my uh, um, I don't know what you call them but like your different level of coaching yep. in Canada and stuff like that yeah. you know go do like Patrick like he's coached many years of juniors and I think that this is how you learn how to coach how to be a real uh, good coach and you try a bunch of different things and and you you see that some work some don't work but uh, you know I think you need to take your time. Mm-hmm. Being the, the fact that you never played those positions. Uh, now you were there in Colorado, obviously when when Patrick Waugh was uh, was was coaching there. And one of the things I can recall that first season specifically, watching Avalanche games and saying, you know, I, I, I step back from the TV and say, I really seeing man on man in the defensive zone here. Like I'm used to seeing that in junior hockey, certainly, uh, but I don't know that at that time you, you saw a lot of it in in the NHL. Like what were some of the things uh, that you saw from Patrick? Maybe it's the the man on man defensive zone coverage. Uh, from from seven and a half years ago, I guess it would be now. Uh, what did you what did you see or, or notice about Patrick's coaching style so many years ago in Colorado? Oh, uh, what I liked about it is I in in the course of my career, I had a bunch of coaches that you know had been in the NHL for a long time or had coached in the NHL for a long time. So when Patrick came, it, it was kind of a, a a breath of fresh air, you know, like it was just all you know. I think he had tried a bunch of stuff in junior and. Uh, he knew how to speak to the young guys. We had uh, a very young team at the time. Uh, you know, we had Nathan McKinnon, uh, Duchesne, uh, yeah. O'Reilly, a bunch of young guys, uh, 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 Tyson Berry, that were just kind of trying to to, to uh, get their career going. And, and he knew how to talk to them. He knew how to approach them, which is sometimes hard, even for a veteran. You know, like sometimes you don't know how to approach those kids. So. Uh, it, it, it was very refreshing. You know, I, I loved mm. it. I think it, it, it really gave us a lot of energy. Uh, you know, we went from the worst team in the league to winning 52 games. So yeah. how can you not like that? You know, it was <laughs> it was fun to play. Yeah, you know, it was a winning environment, which, yep. you know, Patrick tends to, to, to create. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would be lying if I didn't have fun. If I, I, I tried to come back, but he... You know, you wanted to get younger as a backup, so I couldn't go back. <laughs> what What did you make of that uh, now infamous uh, argument over the glass with uh, with Bruce Boudreau, one of the more I- iconic scenes from from that season? The uh, you know shaking the glass at each other, yelling and screaming <laughs> in Patrick's first game. What do you recall from that one? I think Patrick doesn't do anything without thinking about what he's going to do, and mm. I, I think he probably had in mind to probably do something like that, or you know, create something. That would rally the team around him right and and uh uh you know the year before was super difficult because you know finishing last and and uh you know i think the players didn't like the coach at the time and stuff like that and uh, all you wanted to do i think is create something you know create uh, something that we would be all together you know the 20 players playing and the coaches together and we're all going to war together, you know, and, and trying to create, create that chemistry and, uh, uh, it worked, you know, it really worked. The, the, yeah. the players loved it. They felt like the, their coaches were behind, you know, be, beyond them was with them, you know, was w- willing to fight for them and stuff like that. So, uh, I think it, it really gave a lot of energy to the young kids mm-hmm. and, and, uh, it really changed the negativity that we had from the year before to, you know, into a positive thing. It's so archaic to think that way. Sure. But, you know, I think it, it really worked. You know, it's always interesting. I'm speaking with Jean-Sebastien Jaguer. Um, it is interesting the way that, you know, coaches, to your previous point, you know, coaches will be hands-on with the forwards. They'll be hands-on with the defensemen. But generally, by and large, coaches leave the goaltending coaching to the goaltending coach, and it's at arm's length. What was Patrick like, though, for you? What was Patrick like for goaltenders when you were with him in, in Colorado? Well, uh, he was basically the same, you know, and that's mm. why he, he had hired uh, Francois there to come in and work with him uh, in Colorado and, and uh, take care of the goalies. Because, you know, as a, as a head coach, you just don't have time to take care of the goalies. Sure. It's, uh, you, you know what I mean? So you want to make sure that you have somebody that you trust taking care of your goalies that you can run things by, you know, but... Uh, uh, if I recall, Varley finished second that year for the Vizina Trophy. He had an amazing season. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had a pretty good season, too. It was a lot of fun. But uh, let me tell you a story. Like, the first time uh, Patrick, when Patrick got hired, he, 
he arranged so that Varley would come to Montreal for two weeks to work out with me and uh, Francois there. So, you know, we, we arranged this thing. We set the date for like beginning of August. And usually this is when I would start skating, you know, my, my first time on the ice. And yeah. so Patrick calls me, he's like, Hey, I'm going to go see you, uh, you know, the first week, you know, I'm going to go check, check you guys out and, you know, we can go have lunch after or whatever. So I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, be fun, fun to catch up and see. But he came the first day, you know, the first day. So it was the first time I was skating on the ice that summer and I felt like crap. And then he, <laughs> there he is, the first shot. I can see it like he's on the bench. He's like, you know, uh, he's on the, on the bench. Like he's, on, he's got his uh, elbow on the board and he's watching me. And I've got my buddies. It's all my buddies that are on the ice shooting the puck and they don't have great shots. They're just, you know, like guys that played junior in, in the days and stuff. And my buddy just does this muffin, you know, it goes over top of my shoulder and he's got on the very first shot. And I'm like, oh, this is a terrible way to start this, this season. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, but we, uh, no, we had a good relationship. He had a good relationship with the goalies. He talked to, a lot yeah. to us, but mostly true Francois. So that was great. <laughs> what, what do you think the Islanders are getting here? Like, I mean, you know, Patrick, uh, a lot better than that. I do a lot better than a lot of people yeah. listening. Like what are the Islanders getting here in a head coach? Well, somebody that's super intense is he, demanding, but in the right way, you know, like he, he's gonna really, he, he's gonna be a, a player's coach. You know what I mean? So the, the, the guys actually are gonna like playing from, it's gonna be, direct like you know you're gonna know exactly what's expected of you but he's gonna help you get there too and he's gonna be behind you at all time and he's gonna you know i mean like he's gonna really stand up for for his players so i think uh it's gonna be uh, very refreshing for those guys he's gonna bring him some new ideas he's not afraid to try new uh, new stuff uh, offensively mm -hmm. like he, he had all kinds of ideas of how to create new offense and stuff like that so I think, you know, he's going to bring a bunch of new ideas like this. And as we saw the first practice, like he's really intense. Oh, yeah. But it's short, you know, it's it, guys will like that. I think he knows uh, how to give, you know, time off to and make sure that the guys have the right time to to recover and stuff like that. So uh, I would assume that they're going to like him. Uh, and I think they're going to have positive results. Uh, the post-game interviews will certainly be gold. That, that's one thing we know about Patrick. Yes. Uh, let, let, yes. let, me, let, me, let me finish on this one. I think we're all curious as well, you know, which player or which type of players will get the Patrick Waugh bump? Like, which player? There's always, like, the team, you know, new coach comes in, new excitement, all of it. Um, but was there, when you play, when you're with Colorado with, with Patrick, were there one or two players that right away really clicked with Patrick and took their game to the next level almost immediately? Uh, well, Varley was one of them, you know, mm. uh, and, uh, you know, he, he really, you know, I, I went to Colorado personally to help Varley become a number one goalie. That's kind of the mission they gave me a bit is like to be a good backup to him and help him along. And he was a young goalie with so much talent. And then he really like exploded under Patrick. So, uh, you know, he's there right now in, 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 uh, with the Islanders and I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, I will open for him and, and, uh, uh, the two goalies there that, you know, they, it's really going to help them out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, offensively, I think, uh, it, it's hard to tell, like, you know, it's, I, it's, it's been, a, it's only been eight years, but it's been eight years. So I, I don't sure. remember exactly who, but it seemed like actually that year, that, that first year and that only year I, I had him is everybody had a career year. Like everybody had their, their yeah. best season ever. And, you know, I mean, obviously it didn't happen the year after, but yeah, you know, I think a lot of players, if, if they want to, they, they work hard and they're honest. Uh, those type of guys will, will tend to play well again under him. Uh, you mentioned earlier you're coaching uh, U12 right now. Give us, as we conclude here, Jean-Sebastian, give us an update of what Jean-Sebastian Jaguer, Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe champion, uh, longtime NHL goaltender is doing now. Well, that's what I do. You know, I, I uh, coach uh, my youngest kid uh, with that team and it uh, keeps me pretty busy. You know, we have uh, three practice a week, uh, usually two or three games in the weekend. Uh, nice. We're a league that plays across the province, so... Lots of traveling. My son is in a prep school in Ontario, so uh, I go see him uh, quite a bit too. And I have my other son playing basketball, so 
Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know anything about basketball. I just go and cheer. That's a nice change. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so much fun, you know. And uh, we travel a lot with the kids. And I, yeah. I work a little bit at TVA Sports. But, uh, uh, you know, it's been uh, not, not very much this year because I just don't have that much time. For so. sure. You're a sports dad. You're a, you're a hockey dad. You're a basketball dad. For all of us, you'll <laughs> always be that guy holding the Stanley Cup as well. Jean-Sebastien Jaguar, thanks so much for stopping by today. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jean-Sebastien Jaguar has been my guest, uh, former Stanley Cup champion with the, uh, with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, just a, a wonderful person to talk to. Great interviews. And, uh, you know, it is interesting. And we'll see round two tonight uh, for Patrick Waz. His New York Islanders face off against the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, a team that we talked about off the beginning of today's broadcast and played the clips uh, from Bruce Cassidy. Now, there are moments where coaches know they can say some things to get the team's attention. Um, and there's only so many times you can go to that well. Uh, good coaches understand that, and Bruce Cassidy is a good coach. But, you know, Bruce Cassidy, after last night's loss against the New Jersey Devils, went the disappointed dad routine, um, said his team thought that they were playing beer league last night against the New Jersey Devils. The Vegas Golden Knights face off against the Islanders uh, tonight. Aiden Hill, by the way, returns tonight. Uh, for the uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, so that's good news there. Uh, going for the uh, for the New York Islanders will be Ilya Sorokin, uh, maybe the best slash most important goaltender in the NHL, as our friend Mike Kelly told us a couple of moments ago. Like, there's no goaltender that has covered up more mistakes for their team than Ilya Sorokin. Like, the fact that they're even in a conversation for the playoffs right now is about Ilya Sorokin. And I know that people always get on my back about me making cases all the time for goaltenders and, and the Hart Trophy. They have the Vesna Merrick. That's good enough for them. I still believe that there should be goaltenders in the top five uh, every year for the uh, for the Hart Trophy because that is still, to this day, the most important position in hockey. Fight me if you want. But how many times have you seen a great team completely undone, completely undone by bad net mind? And quite the opposite. How many times have you seen an average or mediocre team uh, soar to new heights because of outstanding net minding? And that's why probably, you know, I'll tell you, the greatest goaltender of all time in my estimation is Dominic Hasek. No disrespect to the others, Marty Berdur and Patrick Waugh. That conversation always rolls around. Ed Belfort, you throw into that mix as well. Um, but for me, it's always been Dominic Hasek, uh, best goaltender of all time. Anyway, how do we get to Hasek from the Islanders and the Vegas Golden Knights? Stream of consciousness much? Merrick, uh, uh, nine games on the go around the NHL this evening. Uh, the Ottawa Senators facing off against the Montreal Canadiens, Corpusalo and Allen uh, going that one. Stars and the Red Wings. Don't look now, but the Red Wings are doing it again. Uh, Tampa and Philadelphia, Matt and I talked about that one. That should be a good one. Two teams that are pretty hot right now. And don't look now, but are the Tampa Bay Lightning signaling once again? They do this every now and then for five or six games. They just they just kind of remind everybody that they're an elite team and they belong in that cup conversation. Caps and Wild, Blues and Flames, the Blue Jackets face off against the Oilers. Can the Oilers make it 14 in a row or can they be derailed by the Columbus Blue Jackets? It's hockey, right? So if it happens, don't be surprised. Buffalo Sabres began their road trip facing off against the Anaheim Ducks. And can the Sharks win again? They beat the Los Angeles Kings last night. Can they beat the New York Rangers tonight? Those are your nine games. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in today's program. You just heard from John Sebastian Jaguar, previous Mike Kelly, Barry Trotz, general manager of the Nashville Predators. Thank you. Elliot Friedman kicked off the program as he normally does. Thank you to Matt Marchese, our senior producer and contributor. Thanks to David Siss, our producer, Lance Kennedy, our board op, and our great TV director is the one and only Jen Rolnick who has the toughest job, making me look good. Talk to you tomorrow.